Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we are reviewing Series 1, Episode 22 of The Avengers, Kill the King. This was written by James Mitchell. It was recorded on the 30th of August 1961 and first transmitted on the 2nd of September 1961 at 10 to 9. And that was in the ABC Midlands, North, Anglia TV, ATV, Southern, Tyne Tees, Television Western Wales, Ulster, Westwood, Scottish and Border Television. I think this is the first one we've had at Border. The video, unfortunately, that is lost. There's no footage of any kind known to exist. Although Alan and Alice Hayes have done a reconstruction and that's on the DVD box sets. Big Finish have done an audio reconstruction, which is the one that we're going to base this review on. That was adapted by John Dorney and can be found on Volume 4 of their Lost Episodes range. There's a full, clean copy of the script, and there's also a camera script, although a couple of pages of that are missing. There are 307 publicity stills and 72 telesnaps. Minutiae-wise, this is taken from Piers Johnson's splendid website, Mrs. Peel, Were Needed. This was the last episode of the programme for quite a while. There was a, a few months' break while ATV finished the run of their competing drama series, Deadline Midnight, and the Avengers came back to the screens after that run had finished. And they continued production at a, a similar rate, but it was... It gave them a bit of breathing room, which, uh, frankly, they must have needed by this point. There is a nice, diverse cast in this one. For all that I've always said about it being quite hard to pull together, particularly in the 60s and 70s, ethnic actors from around the world, there are ten Asian actors in this episode. I don't think it's ever specified in this episode which country they are supposedly from, but there are references to places like Singapore, and uh, there's a lot of references to oil. So you're sort of Far East rather than Middle East here. The episode, and they, written, they do keep talking about talking about a country, which name of which I can't remember. They do. It begins with T, doesn't and, it? Oh, I thought it began with a K. It's not but indistinct, it, but it's, it's always crossed over. Name. Yeah. But the the last sort of bit, really, um, is that the episode was written, as I said, by James Mitchell, who went on to be the creator of Callan. Yes, so, and this is the second episode that he's written, because he also did Death on the Slipway. Yes, he did, which was excellent as well. So, this is where I hand over to Dr. Exton for a synopsis. So, from, again, Dave Rogers' Ultimate Avengers... Steed is assigned to prevent the assassination of King Tenufon after an attempt on his life on the plane flying him to London. Harrington is already arranging a second attempt. The king will die from a sniper's bullet as he walks onto the balcony of his hotel. Major Harrington has installed himself in a flat opposite the king's hotel suite. Steed has checked for this eventuality, but flat owner Mrs. Carter does not arouse his suspicions. It is Steed's sixth sense and a helicopter passing overhead that ensures King Tenufon remains safe and the royal bodyguard disposes of Major Harrington, but not before the king's son, Prince Serekit, takes the sniper's bullet. And so the American was rather surprised about this. And he said... What is that? What uh, sounds like a helicopter. Indeed. 
Do you know, I've never seen a helicopter. Do you mind if I borrow those binoculars of yours? Um, Most kind. But surely your majesty was presented with a helicopter. I can't see anything from in here. The angle on the window is wrong. Can you see it from outside? No, I'll take a look. Your Highness! Let's go and look, shall we, Zerakit? Chook, bring him back. He won't come, and I'm not allowed to touch him. Neither are you, Whack. Still no clear shot. Will you get out of the way? Blast you! Mr. Steed, sir. Quickly, the balcony. No! You've got to bring him in. You've got to. I can't. He told me to stay here. Out of the way. I'm sorry, mate. You mustn't touch him. I'm very much afraid I must. Grab him. That was heroic, but ill-advised. Like a lot of other things, sir. Zerakid was hit. How is he? Now, at this point, this is where you tell us who was in it. Who are the alumni that we've got? There's a big list and there's there's a lot of big name people. So we start with the Who alumni. Peter Barkworth um, was Clint in the Ice Warriors. Um, He also played Martin Hewitt in a couple of episodes of The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Turns up in a couple of episodes of The Outer Unknown uh, and also Undermined. um, And will reappear in three more episodes of The Avengers. And as well as that, has been in a million TV programs and films over the years. Bert Kwok was Lynn for two in Four to Doomsday. Um, He will appear in two more episodes of The Avengers. He's been in a million things, but he was probably best known for either Tenko in terms of television or the Pink Panther films. He had a long, long career starting from McCreary Moves In in 1957 and ending up as a regular on Last of the Summer Wine with his last performance being in 2010. So an over 50 year career. Moira Redmond who appears in I, Claudius, uh, R3, quite a few other things. We've already seen her before in The Avengers, playing Stella in Hot Snow, and she was one of the actresses that was considered for the role of Mrs. Peel. Oh, really? Right, I didn't know that. Mm. Patrick Allen, well-known actor and a very well-known voice actor, was the narrator in Blackadder, was the announcer in the Reeves and Mortimer shows, was it The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer and Vic Reeves' Big Night Out? Yes. I hated them. I thought they were appalling Emperor's New Clothes and not in the slightest bit funny. But there are people who enjoyed it. Lisa and Andy, I know, particularly Andy, was a big fan of uh, Vic Reeves' Big Night Out. That was while he and I were working together. I couldn't see the appeal then. I can't see the appeal now. He was in the original 1984, the 1956 adaptation by Nigel Neal. He's been in... Undermined, an episode of Out of This World. He was the lead in the uh, the film adaptation of the TV story, Night of the Big Heat. Um, and he will appear in a further episode of The Avengers. Victor Charrington, we've seen previously in The Avengers and actually seen previously because he played Brecken in The Frighteners. Ian oh. Collin played Lomax in the TV version of The Quatermass Experiment. Andy Ho played the the regular character of R. Sin, the cook in um, It Ain't Half Hot Mom. He was in the Lambda One episode of Out of the Unknown and tips up in lots of other things like Adam Adamant Lives. Lisa Peak will appear again in another episode of The Avengers and appeared in Pathfinders to Mars. 
And Carol Shelley had a massive career on the American stage and also appeared in a couple of Carry On films, Carry On Cabby and Carry On Regardless. And we've talked about uh, the writer James Mitchell having previously written Death on the Slipway. With regards to the episode itself, what did you think? I spent a lot of the episode being really quite underwhelmed by the plot because it just seemed like a real horrible mishmash of two different murder attempts, one in inside the palace, one outside the palace, or the inside the hotel one just seemed horribly cobbled together, whereas the one in the, the flat opposite was, was very controlled. I, I think the foreign leader who has become anglicised by time at university was a cliché by the time this had all come along. Mm. So I, I spent the whole time thinking... This hasn't been terribly well written um, until you get to the very final scene where it makes perfect sense why the the murder attempts are being so cobbled together, why the king is refusing against any sense to take note of his security advisors when you realise that the plot wasn't against the king himself but in, instead against the prince, who's the one who gets distracted by the helicopter and shot at the end. That became a real surprise aha moment, which I really liked. I thought it, it lulled you into a really nice sense of false security that actually you're watching something a bit flawed and a bit mundane. And then it all just makes sense. I ended up really enjoying that. The one thing that I, I would say is that it's about the only time that I can think of in the Avengers where Steed fails completely. Okay, he manages to to get rid of Harrison after he's done the, the assassination, but he doesn't foil the assassination. What I wasn't sure, does Steed deliberately not foil the assassination? Because he's obviously worked out what's going on. He, he asks the king, how much did the helicopter cost you? So has he recognized that it was in the country's best interest for the, for that assassination to go ahead? And so he's just taken a back step and concentrated on making sure that the person responsible gets punished, but that the assassination goes ahead. And that would be a real Callan storyline. Mm. Not being familiar with Callan, I can't really comment on that, but the whole episode, I've got to be with you, I'm, I'm entirely with you on this. I spent the whole episode not being baffled, but everybody in this is double-crossing everybody else. Everybody. And... It just gets to sort of the last act and you think, Steed's got no chance here because everybody's telling him a lie. <laughs> There's no truth for him to get to. Every single person he speaks to is lying to him. Even the ambassador, Crichton Bull, played in the audio version, I've got to say brilliantly, by Matthew Cottle. It was difficult not to see Prince Edward out of the Windsor's. <laughs> But everybody lies to Steve. Entertainingly inept. Yes, yes. But again, it was an act. Uh, and you've got the, uh, what was her name, the girl in it, Storm. And this played by Elizabeth Morton, who is Peter Davison's wife. Basically, all the girls, all the um, the Cockney, Tupney, Apney girls in the Avengers series on audio, they all sound like Patricia Brake out of porridge as Fletcher's daughter. Um, yes. And and this was no different. But even she is putting on that dumb fuck act. She's in on it. So you, you race to the end of this episode, and it's all the performances are great, but you, all the way through you're thinking, really, Steed's not got a chance, and you're quite right. It's He does... He fails, really. 
but there's too much going on really for Steed to work out until the very last minute who it is that's going to get assassinated and why. The one thing I will say is it didn't take him very long to get from where the assassination took place to the building over the road. We're talking a matter of seconds. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing, which I didn't... It's right at the beginning of the episode when somebody tries to kill the king in what I thought was a helicopter, but it must have been an aeroplane. The assassin on board the plane, they get him, and then the bodyguard said, kill him. And he clearly gets thrown out of this plane. What plane is it? It can't be a jet, otherwise it would have depressurized the jet. So is it a a massive sort of military vehicle? We don't know, but somebody gets chucked out of a plane. That was the only bit I couldn't reconcile, because it doesn't sound like a very big plane. It might might not have been a very big plane. Yeah, no, but the smaller the plane, you can't just open a door on a small plane. So how did they chuck him out? Yes, maybe they had an airlock specifically designed for... (laughs) The dictator's special. Here you go. You've got you've got your very own execution chamber. I did enjoy it, not quite as much as I hoped to. It's not bad, and it's another one with that foreign flavour to it that works really well on audio. I would like to think that they'd put enough effort into it, and I suspect they did, in 1961 on screen, particularly if they've got that big Asian cast. It did actually feel that it was filmed abroad. There's not a single likeable character in it, though. That's the problem. So you go all the way through it, not really giving a toss. The only person you give a toss about is Crichton Bull, who is this ineffectual civil servant. And even he's entertainingly inept. Yes, (laughs) that's a better way of putting it. And even he turns out to be in on it all at the end, and he's not very likeable. As you say, it's only in pretty much the last scene that everything clicks into place, and Steed says... You know, sod the lot of you, I'm off. I, I just think at the back of my mind, Steed has worked out what's going on and worked out that it is going to be in the country's best interest for the assassination attempt to go ahead. As you say, he must have done to ask that question at the end, after the assassination. First one, how much did the helicopter cost? Yeah, which, again, is a much more Callan plot point than um, an Avengers plot. Because the, the Avengers isn't often that dark. The ones we've done so far, this is by far and away the... There's no joy in this. All the characters are in it, they're unsympathetic. All, most of the men are quite lecherous, particularly the um, the Asian royalty. They're awful. Uh, the major, the colonel, uh, the general, rather, they're both very unlikable. The prince is unlikable. <sighs> yeah, yeah, a bit of a dark one. Well... As with Death on the Slipway, very Cold War in a way that the Avengers often wasn't. Yeah, and you have the benefit of foresight because you know what's coming and I don't. Uh, I know it all gets a little bit more, in fact, quite a lot more whimsical as the years roll by, but at this stage it's still quite espionage to an extent rather than any sort of fantastical or whimsy. Have we had one yet? A fantastical one? No, not really. We've had a whimsical one, though. There was all that... Uh, there's the one at the zoo. Please don't feed the um, animals. That was a little bit. Uh, only a very little bit, because there was that um, that monkey running about. But, mm. uh, oh, there was the... Oh, what do you got? The hairdressing one. Ashes of Roses. Oh, that was just dull. Yeah, but... Well, there wasn't really any whimsy in that. Possibly about the closest to whimsy that we've had is all the drug sequence stuff in Nightmare. 
Oh yeah, but that was very that was dark. We've not had any future Avengers sniffs really seriously yet. This is still action adventure investigating espionage. I'd written quite a bit about how the plot didn't make logical sense and it was a, a lot of coincidences cobbling together. I just put a line through it as soon as I got to the um, the final scene because that brings everything together and you just think, oh, okay, yes, this does all make sense. I don't think it hangs together as well as Death on the Slipway did. I think that was that was more coherent and kind of... It's not that this didn't keep your attention. It's just that there was a lot of that doesn't really make sense that you didn't get in Death on a Slipway. Should we give this a score? Watch out How many masterminds are you giving this? Four. I'm really torn on this because... It's yeah, a re- I, I debated a lot about giving it a five, to be honest. Really? Because of how good, yeah, because of how good the overall plot is. But because I spent so much of the thing just thinking, this isn't great and this doesn't make sense, even though that is all fully explained afterwards. I still had the whole 40 minutes frustration that it didn't make sense. So, yeah, four from me. You see, I wavered all the way through. I was sort of doing that, oh, God, this is, I'm drifting off here, sort of reaching for the the phone, let's have a play on that, because it just seemed to be so random, unconnected, coincidental, like you say. All the way through, I was thinking, this is three material. I'm going to put it up to four. I don't think it's quite five, but it is a good one. But you have to get to the end before everything, there's just sort of a, a light bulb moment, everything twists into place. But stick with it. And with that, we'll sign off. Next week, we'll be covering episode 23, Dead of Winter. Until then, we hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're following the ride with us. We'll see you soon. Bye now. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.